Jean Lotus, editor and publisher of Hemp Build Mag and journalist of all things industrial hemp. It is such an honor to have you with us today on Hemp Parents. Thank you for being here. Oh, Joy, I am so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Boy, it's it's a super honor to be on your podcast because you're everywhere and you are... Um, I kind of think of you as almost the godmother of industrial hemp in the United States. You are such an angel. I love being your reflection, sister, because I sit here in awe of the incredible, important work that you're doing. And as many people know who listen to the show, Hemp Crete, of all the thousands of products that can be made from hemp, is my favorite of them all and hemp building materials in general. But, Mine you know, I, I've just been doing it a whole long time. The, the hemp bites you. It gets into your DNA and then you just go, go, go. Same thing happened to me that happened to you. I've just been, I've just been doing it for a little over 30 years and boy, have I had some uh, major assistance with that, especially in hemp building. I call her the, the first lady of hemp, oftentimes Andrea Herman in hemp building. And so I'm just so grateful for those opportunities. But you're in Texas right now, from what I understand. I My heart was so hurting that I was not able to attend the Hemp Building Summit, which just took place in Austin. And the hemp building world is getting really huge here. So A, I want to hear about the Hemp Building Summit. But before we go there, let's talk, Jean, about what brought you to hemp. How did you get interested in hemp? What is your story, gal? Well, I have been a journalist for about 30 years, and I basically, I had a beat at United Press International, and people of a certain era will know that company formerly was, UPI was formerly sort of like Associated Press. It was a, it was a news agency service that you could just get and put stories from it in your newspaper. So I had the most fantastic beat. I had the Western United States, anything I wanted to write about. As long as I could get it past my very sharp and demanding editor, I could write about it. But every time I wrote about industrial hemp, now you can tell on page views how many people are reading it. And so since I was based in Colorado, I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado. And since I was based there, I was sort of in the epicenter of hemp there. And a friend of mine actually was buying biomass and had me take him around to a couple farms. And I was just loving it. And then I would write about it. And then people would just read about it. And then UPI, because of COVID, they, they had to cut all of the original reporting. And so they do a lot of aggregation now. And so I felt like this is the time. This is the time to jump into just being a hemp journalist. So first I was like, I'm just going to be a freelancer and I'm going to just pitch stories about hemp to all these agriculture magazines and all this other stuff. And then I realized two things. First, I realized the building is the most interesting thing to me. And second, I realized that other magazines are, are hurting too, and they're not hiring a lot of freelance writers. So I decided to just go with my own thing. And there is hemp grower and there's hemp hemp today and there's all these other the big umbrella of hemp which is a huge topic but there was nothing specifically for building and there's so much excitement around the building and what I've noticed Joy is women are super excited by hemp building what I've noticed one of the things is if you do we talked about hempcrete it's if you make hempcrete blocks they're so much lighter than regular cement blocks it's really a it's a female friendly material. 
it you could you could do masonry with hemp blocks and it wouldn't be as heavy and i think just the the whole democratization of housing which is super important to me as a mother of college age kids they tell me i'm never going to own a house and when we talk about young people facing that it's it's very unsettling to them and it just the price of housing is so high and the they say there are 5 million too few housing units in the United States. So it's a crisis. It's just an an outright straight up crisis. Not, not it to, is a crisis. Not to mention the fact that the housing we have of course is by and large constructed of off-gassing temporary inferior materials. Exactly. And they're specifically designed to fall apart when the mortgage ends, right? <laughs> There's planned obsolescence, obsolescence. So your your drywall will just decay or whatever. And then the whole mold issue, mold in the southeastern and southern United States is, and, and really in the Midwest too, is... In the Pacific Northwest, here I am in Seattle, right? Molding away. <laughs> oh my God, yes, exactly. So the whole idea of sealing ourselves in into buildings, non-vapor permeable walls, and then being trapped with our mold <laughs> is a is a huge housing crisis. So sick buildings and sick humans. Right, exactly. So the idea, the hempcrete idea, and it's very simple. I when I in the '90s, you probably knew people who loved the straw bale houses, and when you would meet people, they would talk about straw bale, and they would just become obsessed. And I think it's part of the same thing where. It's so easy to understand hemp, lime, water, pozzolan. It's it's a simple thing. It's an insulation, blah, blah, blah. It's a wall wall assembly. So yes, everybody likes straw bale, but, but the question is, and, and the fact that it's also been used in Europe for 30 years, to me indicates that here we are in this climate crisis and we we absolutely have to take a look at construction and how much carbon is generated by construction. Hemp building materials actually absorb hemp. They absorb carbon dioxide as they're growing. They absorb, well, I've seen people, I mean, I don't know exactly what the actual amount of carbon dioxide. I, I saw Bo Whitney from Whitney Economics had a report recently that said five metric tons per acre, but it's a heck of a lot. Yeah. I think if I could just, if I could just get in there, it, it's so important as we have these sort of critical thinking, the acre, it depends on what kind of an acre, right? How densely planted was that hemp? Were the rows six inches apart? Were they eight feet apart? Were, what type of hemp was planted? Was it fiber? So on and so forth. So all of these, all of these statistics that we shut out are sort of generally speaking and, and generally have some type of qualifier to them. But, but what we certainly know, of course, is that hemp, while all plants, of course, convert CO2 to oxygen, so on and so forth, there is a unique process within the, the cannabis plant that actually absorbs a higher amount of that CO2. So there is just something special and unique to that that photosynthesis to that entire conversion process for the cannabis plant. And that's one of the reasons it grows so quickly. Isn't it amazing? Because it's sucking in the air, right? So that there are these air 
pockets sort of in there. And that's why it makes great insulation. That beautiful, spongy, porous. I'll never forget when I first learned because it was a University of Bath that had has a, a micro under a microscope what hemp cellulose looks like under a microscope. And it looks like a sponge. And you can see these little squares and tubes and holes where, where thermal energy or vapor, humidity, goes and hangs out as it's passing through that wall because that hemp wall, of course, can regulate the thermal energy and can regulate that humidity. It's just, it's just incredible. Right. And so, and the fact that even though it's a brand new technology here in the United States, the fact that it's been done in Europe for 30 years and they have made the mistakes and we're going to make the mistakes too. And it is, sometimes it's happening here and that's, as an industry begins, that's very common. It's just going to happen. Also, we have something to look forward to. And I just saw a gorgeous building that's being built in Paris right now. It's 60 meters, which I think is about 120 feet high. And it's got 61 apartment units. And it's got hemp blocks. And there are these architects in France. Basically, they have been told they need to produce carbon negative or low carbon buildings. And they are using hemp. And we can learn a lot from them. So much from them. And and I think it's important to note, of course, that while it's there's a revival of hempcrete that we've traced back to to France, this modern day revival, right? To, to the mid 1980s or so. But hempcrete has been used by mankind for at least thousands of years. I mean, we've got, of course, the the ancient Alora caves in in India. Mm -hmm, that have the hemp and clay and lime walls and those beautiful drawings that are on those walls that are 1500 years old and and the the walls that were the hemp and clay and lime of course the drawings are preserved and the other drawings from the other walls are have been worn away by rodents and the elements over the years and and I believe and you may know more about this than I do Jean that there's also a building still standing in Japan some 700 years old. Yeah, I've read about that. I, I don't know exactly where in Japan it is, but yes, again, being used. So isn't it interesting? I mean, as a journalist, really, I feel like this is one of the, the stories of the century, right? When you think about the historic idea of a brand new row crop being introduced to the United States, that also happens to be an ancient... <laughs> with like hundreds of uses that actually had a, a complete history here. Not always a great history, a history of enslavement, a hard a plant that was difficult to process even then, and it is now. We're having decortication issues here, but that has been used for just hundreds and thousands of years. And the fact that we took this bizarre science fiction alternate universe route that we now make everything with petrochemicals that we could have made with the carbon in the hemp plant and other plants. So interesting as a journalist, I see that fascinating to me. And I, I just see it as like one of the best stories to be reporting on ever. Most definitely. And and despite the sort of oatmeal-like and lightness that you described earlier of hempcrete, we're talking some seriously strong stuff with depending on how close you are to a to a pole or to the equator would determine how thick your wall needs to be in order to deliver the superior performance that hempcrete can deliver, which is with good 
good windows and about six to 18 inch walls, depending again, where you are located to near to an extreme temperatures, we're talking about being able to keep your home about 60 degrees Fahrenheit in an interior ambient temperature year round without a heating or a cooling system, which is so hard for people to, to comprehend. But we are so not blowing smoke up skirts here. I mean, I technologies built, of course, the first fully permitted hempcrete home in the United States for the, the then mayor of Asheville, North Carolina. And of course, they- It's a beautiful house. Isn't it gorgeous? It's just so yes. incredible. I, I was so blessed to be able to tour that home. And it's got the two fireplaces and some other- units of heating and cooling, but you know, they barely are ever used at all, even during those winters. And that's on the side of a mountain, that house, because of course, uh, thermal capacity and thermal conductivity, which are two concepts that are pretty difficult to reconcile, except for with hempcrete. If you're going to heat that house up, it's going to stay, it's going to heat up very quickly and it's going to stay warm for a long time. And so just no need to do it when you've got appliances and human beings running around in there with with good windows. Let's talk for a minute about the projects that are exciting you the most about what's going on in the United States. I know you are very close with, as am I, the U.S. Hemp Building Association, and they're so wonderful. I mean, Jacob Waddell, what an incredible gift he has is been to the hemp building industry, his leadership, his drive, his skills, his experience, and a fantastic board, Savatesa. Faye, the vice president and others on the board. And they, of course, are getting their finger on the pulse, A, trying to raise funds to apply for, in partnership with ASTM, an international code for a hempcrete process, approval for a hempcrete process with the International Certification Council, but also to collect a, a map of and keep a finger on the pulse of all of the different projects in the U.S. So with that, what are the ones exciting you? Yes, and that map is not complete, but and there are more projects being built every day. I mean, Cameron McIntosh from Amerishandra, uh, he worked on 10 projects this year. And he showed us a slideshow of them at the U.S. Hemp Building Summit. And oh my gosh. And at the end, he showed us a picture of himself. He called, the people called them camera days because they were, they were using that blow insulation from the ER Easy machine. And they, they had to keep it going. And they were trying to get an entire house insulated in, in, in about six days and um, they ended up at the end working like 12, 14 hour days just to get it done. And then he showed a picture of himself and he was just, he had just taken off the mask and he was just, his face was all puffy and he looked so bleary. And he said, this is, (laughs) this is what it's like to build, to do 10 projects. But it's so interesting to me because some of these projects, two things he told me, one thing he said was that these projects were planned years ago. And people heard about hempcrete, they've been doing the research, and they finally get their act together. They finally, it's very difficult to get all of the, it's very difficult to build your own house anyway, but main to get it past the local permitting departments, to get supplies when stuff, when there's a pandemic going on, and you can't get, uh, you can't get supplies from France, you can't get it locally because it, it hasn't been grown, it hasn't been processed. So that's the first thing he told me was that people had been waiting for years and the dam kind of broke this year. The second thing he told me was that women 
in usually if people are building a dream house, they're usually they're older, not always, but this is their final house and they're going to die in it. And this is the way they want. But he said, it's the women that are getting it past the permitting departments. Like they will not take no for an answer. Well, certainly women are very powerful. They know what they want. And of course we want to heal the planet first and foremost and create security for our families. So so none of that surprises me at all. Now, Cameron is also working on with Hempstone, Jennifer and Tom, a beautiful project on Cape Cod. Any yes. anything you want to share with us about that project? That project is amazing. So that is a 6,000 square foot house. That project was built by a couple who he is a, he was the CEO of a startup, software startup, and he wanted to build a climate resistant home and a negative carbon negative home on Cape Cod. They had bought a a house kind of right on the beach that was, um, it was kind of falling apart. So they, they, they bought it deliberately as a teardown, but then they, but it, it's very interesting because they did design it so that um, it can withstand sea level rise. It can, it, they, they basically decided to have zero petrochemical anything in the, in the house. And when they, what they wanted to do was also to show how a large project like that could be done with an industrial technology. So Cameron McIntosh has the the one-man sprayer, the EREZ, and there are a number of them here in the United States. He actually he actually distributes those. But there is another, there are other companies and other systems that are more sort of industrial. And so they actually brought this industrial sprayer over from France to do this house. And I think they got it done in less than a week. And it's an enormous, enormous house. I mean, it's 6,000 square feet. They even did the roof with hempcrete. So, and they also, and of course, this was not a cheap project and they had to import, they had to bring the operator and designer of the machine to come over. They had to get him over during COVID. And then they brought in a lime plasterer from Quebec who does lime plaster and they, they had to get him through through the the COVID gauntlet. I think he was actually tried to get into the United States three different times last year, but they got him in, and of course he's in this French plastering. So it really was almost a it was almost like a French building that was built right on Cape Cod. And I did speak to the home builders who do a lot of crazy projects. I mean. Cape Cod is where it's a, it's a fancy place where people go and build very challenging architectural projects, like an entire house that's a cube of glass or, or things like that, right? But, but he was very impressed by this. And one of the things he was impressed by was when he talked to the fire marshal, the guy came over to see the hempcrete and was super impressed and kept coming back again and again to just see how it worked. The other funny thing they told me about that project was they were using the spray and the spray is like blowing it. It blew the lime out of one tube and the hemp out of another tube. And the hemp was like blowing in the wind over into the neighbor's yard. And of course, if you saw insulation being blown into your yard, you'd have a fit because it's toxic, right? And you don't want this all over your yard well except for this it's not toxic yeah so they ran 
this is not toxic. This is a plant material. And, and it was such a change. And uh, I will say that Mike Montero's company, he's the owner. He has a, a new startup that is a hemp startup called M Pactful Ventures. And they are, the idea was bring this machine over, show how it can be used on a large industrial scale, show how, you know, this is the next step in the hemp industry, in the building industry. And when we talk about carbon, carbon goals for 2030, carbon goals for 2050, we need to do something on an industrial scale. So that is why I feel that this is a this is a huge step and it really couldn't even have happened last year and it they estimated there were maybe 50 hemp buildings in the United States last year well another 10 built this year and it's just it's just exploding and all this hemp herd is showing up because people were growing industrial style hemp and they're getting it processed. They're getting it processed in Kansas at South Bend Industrial Hemp, Melissa Nelson and Aaron Baldwin. So yeah, it's just so exciting. So really, we do have to think about some of the hemp builders that I've talked to in Britain and Europe, they say things like, well, this is just a, this is a specialty product and blah, 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 blah. And we, we have plenty of work to do here, but we, we do a lot of renovations and old buildings and and it's just not really, it really hasn't caught on, even though there is a Marks and Spencer grocery store in Great Britain. There's a Hempcrete housing council set of, of buildings, maybe 40 or 50 buildings, a whole neighborhood out of it. Tri- and there's the Triangle apartment complex. Absolutely. In the UK. 41 units and and there's an admins brewery uh, as well. These commercial projects that have gone up. I, you know, I have been hearing people still say when you've been working at this hemp building stuff for so long and understand the, the kicking tires and the gaining traction when you feel it and it is on like Donkey Kong. And okay. Well, that's what I want to hear, Joy. Because- I, I really do. I feel it. And I think what is happening is while we're still even, even hearing certain even proponents of hempcrete say it's a it's a niche thing and yes when we're talking about the united states of america and potentially 60 or 65 projects in our beautiful great big giant country it certainly seems small and niche and yes by the numbers it certainly is as it sits today the reality is we're talking about climate change we're talking about housing crisis. We're talking about forest fires. And, and when you, so there is, and we're talking about no longer poisoning the earth. The second, next to transportation, building materials and construction are the biggest, leave the biggest carbon footprint annually. And construction by far leaves the largest footprint in our landfills, creating over 50% of the waste every year in our landfills. Again, for these inferior, toxic, off-gassing, temporary construction materials. So we put all of that together, along with also wanting to really give ourselves a great quality of life, which includes indoor air quality, which includes not throwing money away on energy systems to heat, to cool these poorly insulated homes. So all of that, all of that revolutionary plasma awesome comes together with hemp creed. And I, I don't believe that it is going to be niche for too much longer. I don't think we have as a planet 
too much longer. This is just such a no-brainer. Is it not the biggest no-brainer ever, Jean? Yes. And and uh, it's interesting. Some people complain, well, how can I get insurance to insure it? And Dan Margraf told me, just I interviewed him in December. I can't remember when I interviewed him, actually. It was, it was in the late fall. He said to me, the insurance companies should make people pay more if they don't build with hempcrete, especially in California. A hundred and ten percent. It's like it's a guaranteed gonna burn your house to the ground if you're not using hempcrete. There you pay therefore you pay the I didn't use hempcrete, my house is gonna burn down surcharge. Versus I built responsibly with hempcrete that will be able to survive this fire. And by the way, would have also survived Hurricane Katrina when we're talking about the the hygroscopicity of of this material. Or at least, yeah, and also the mold. Recovering from any hurricane, you're going to have just the horrible mold. And that that just doesn't happen with the hempcrete. So because it's it's so acidic. So tell me you're you're feeling the energy, Joy, and you have such a great I mean, you just have a really great perspective. You've been you've been doing this for so long, and you've been building with hempcrete. You've been touring the hempcrete structures. You just tell me how it feels to you, and what is sort of what do you see for mass adoption? How how what's the path? Well, certainly we need for it as you're well aware, everyone basically becomes an automatic an automatic activist every time they want to build a home here because we we basically need to convince our local building and planning department to approve it. We don't have any real codes to to approve this this building method. So even though we do have European codes, which are well tested, completely they've been they've been absolutely well tested, and it's just it's like the World Series. Like it's not really a World Series; it's really a United States thing. But you know, it's it's basically. The U.S. building codes just don't want to accept any international, even though they're called the International Code Council, they don't want to, they are not interested really in international codes. So we just have to work with that and we're not going away, right? We're not going away. Nope, not going away at all. And then, of course, there's the FTC's R-value rules, 16 CFR 460, CFR being the Code of Federal Regulations, which is really the regulations for the labeling and testing of insulation. And I know that ASTM and USHBA, U.S. Hemp Building Association, are also working together as a strategy to to meet the requirements or start to meet the requirements of 16 CFR 460 by coming up with uh, some standardized ways to figure out what the mix is. Because under the current rule, really every type and formula of insulation needs to be tested. And so there's a strategy to help get us going here with a more of a basic mix, right? And that's also to just encourage innovation as well. Because if people can come up with, I heard some people talking about trying to come up with an, a formula that was a blow-in insulation that did not necessarily need to have perfectly clean herd. And if you don't have to decorticate to such a super clean condition and you could you could cut back on some of the decortication, it would 
drop the price of herd. So a lot of different people are really innovating in every little step of the supply chain and God love them. And um, they really, and that was part of the reason that U.S. Hemp Building Association is trying to have the very, the method of testing and as opposed to the materials, as opposed to a, a formula, a patented formula that you have to use that has to be on the shelf at Home Depot. They don't want that. They want people to be able to innovate. And that is the right approach. Absolutely, that is the right approach. And in, in the time that we're living in, that is absolutely the right approach because I think all of this hundredth monkey sort of tipping point is is happening and then it's going to be go time and we need people to be able to use the material that is available to them locally this is a heavy crop it needs to be economically viable to move around and we can't all be sending our herd to kansas right ultimately we will have infrastructure and processing facilities within every 50 to 100 square miles of of that biomass feedstock and while there will certainly i think be regional spots for infrastructure and manufacturing maybe certain regions are more grain others more fiber and then of course we'll have still some a small amount of extract and i only say a small amount because we've learned the hard way here in the united states that it takes a little bit of hemp to make a make a whole lot of cannabinoid distillate or cannabidiol cbd distillate so but ultimately that's what we really are going to need to deliver on the promise but i think the fact alone that south bend industrial hemp is so darn busy and of course as you well know we've got ind hemp in montana and and some other uh, processing facilities going up that is showing us the 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 desire in to move all of this industry forward people want to deliver on this dream and they are willing send it to Kansas. Right. Consumer demand is there. It is there. It is a hundred percent there. Now you are also, by the way, your, your website alone, hempbuildmag.com is such an, a tremendous resource. Jean, the work that you do is just so important. That's the point. Yes. Obviously. I mean, it's just, and, and your resources, your, what I would call your resources tab, you have beautifully and appropriately called the community tab. So when we go into the community tab, there are just multiple resources. You've got the knowledge base. You've got links. I want to talk about what you're doing at Clubhouse and the directory that you're creating for a moment. So other ways, not only do you have the magazine, which currently is a free magazine. I don't know if it will always stay free, but currently is it free? I think it needs to stay free because for me, one of the things, I think YouTube is absolutely the best way to find out about Hempcrete, right? Because people, there's so many fantastic videos that have been made and the beating, the building systems, all the different ones, the bricks, the, the blocks, the, the hand, the spray, blah, 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 all of that. You can, you can describe it much better with the video, right? But the second tier is researched articles. And I do believe that people need to be able to come to a place where they hear about it. And then they say, what is that? And then they go and they can just dig in and do their own research. And that and the community, we are trying to get it so that it's a it's basically anyone can join, it's free. So people can talk to each other and basically post pictures of their favorite projects or or ask questions. 
And we'd love to have more people in the in the community. But the idea is that, and and you mentioned Clubhouse. We meet on Clubhouse on the Clubhouse app every Thursday. It's called the Hemp Building Room. And um, one of the fun things about that is when people are talking about things like Wade Atterbury is talking about this Western, I, I believe it's Western fiber. They are they are retooling a, a cotton gin in California. With the Riverdale Hemp Factory. With the Riverdale Hemp Factory. Tom Peters and Lawrence Thurban and Wade Atterbury. It's just absolutely amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Right, but it's complicated. And if you're talking about things in a conversation, like in Clubhouse or even on a, a, a podcast, it's much easier because you could put links on it or whatever. You can kind of go back and listen, but, pot, but Clubhouse is very ethereal. So the idea is if we're talking about something this is complicated. This is building materials. This is public health and safety. So you need to be able to find the actual links to particular legislation or the links to rules, regulations, blah, 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 blah. So that's what the community is for, is to make sure that you can go in there and find people can post white papers or whatever they need to do. And then people can really do a lot of research. And I, I do believe that as long as people are doing research, the demand is just going to explode. And you have seen that, I'm sure, Joy. So much so. And and another thing that I have to say about Hemp Build Mag, Hemp Build Magazine, as it were, the full title, is uh, that reliability and accuracy is everything. And I, I even had a few years ago, I was interviewed by the New York Times. They were doing a story on hempcrete. It was a written interview. I wrote the answers and yet, and yet still, (laughs) God bless the New York times. I couldn't believe the major flaws in that article. It's like, I, I literally wrote the answer and yet still there's just wonky, inaccurate facts coming out and you have just continued to take the time and have invested already so much time and are such a huge part of the hemp building community that you have a, a sophisticated command and at, at and that certainly at the very least know what you don't know at the very most have a sophisticated command on the underlying issues on the challenges and bring forth news and articles that are accurate, that are factual, and that don't make us cringe. (laughs) They're wonderful. Yes. Well, and if anybody cringes, I mean, it is the internet and accuracy is the most important thing. So I'm happy if I get something wrong, I am very, very happy to have a correction. I want it to be accurate. It needs to be accurate. When you, when you tell it, when you throw the words fake news at a journalist, they, they flinch and curl up into a, a ball because they, Spelling someone's name wrong used to be called the fatal error, and um, I've done it. And uh, you need to you anyway. The point is, accuracy is not an embarrassing thing. Accuracy, both the interview subject and the reporter want accuracy. So let's let's make sure that's there. So yeah, that that is one of the things. And some of the wishful thinking. There's a lot of content on the internet that's cannabis related. That's wishful thinking. A lot of it's things like. They're going to be making Legos out of hemp plastic next year. That and it's like it's like whack-a-mole. It's like that's been a three years ago we ended that one, and just recently I saw somebody repost it. It's like whack-a-mole. No, we already debunked that. Right. It's it's so the main thing is trying to just make sure that everything is is um, is accurate and and 
that we can build on it. And it's it's wonderful to see. The other thing that really, that I love, Joy, is I've met so many young people who are just getting into building with hemp. And it's such a future looking business. I'm thinking of the people in hemp building company in Longmont, Colorado, Dalton, um, Phelan Dalton and Dan. I'm thinking of the hemp twins in California. I'm thinking Tommy of Tommy and Maddie. I mean, yeah, Tommy and Maddie, right. They're all under 30. And here they are not only thinking, not only getting into a, um, a trade kind of thing, but some, some are, they're just, they're taking the, the contractor training and then they're just like starting their own companies and they're young and some of them are like father and son. But for me, that is just so hopeful because it's just like these, these people and diverse too. I mean, it's really all different many different races and many different it's it's just it's so wonderful it's capturing the imagination of young people and i love it because they need to they're the ones that are that have the housing anxiety and and instead of curling up in a ball they're jumping up and saying i can fix this Uh, we actually know a way to fix this we have the answer everyone's looking for we just have to prove it to them which is a jacob a Jacob Waddell thing. And he's absolutely right. 110%. And, and just the reality is that we're, the healing is coming. Hemp is going to create so many new careers and so many jobs, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs throughout all of the, all of the supply chain. And by that, I mean, of course, in all of the different hemp industries, nutrition, body care, pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, but most importantly, the trillion dollar industries, building materials, textiles, paper, energy, fuel, uh, nanotechnology, all of those Classic bioplastics. Oh my gosh. And bioresins, all of it. Thank you, sister. And, and as we come to a close though, I want to make sure that we talk about how you do support uh, Hemp Build Magazine and that's with classifieds and advertising packages. And you've got an ever-growing distribution. Yes, correct. And we, we, and yeah, you mentioned the directory. We are, we are putting out a directory. It'll be between 70 and a hundred pages. It's coming out in December and it's basically, it's the whole supply chain. So if you are building a hemp house, you want to have it all in one place, every lime company, every blah, 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 blah. And I do think, you know, that is the one, that is the one place that we all need to learn a lot about is you can't have hemp walls without lime or some other building material. So we need to, I like, I liken it to sort of like the raisin farmers. We're the raisin farmers. And someone comes to me and says, I want uh, muffins with raisins in them. And you're asking the raisin farmers to give you muffins with raisins in them. There are a lot of steps in between. And we have to be able to work with the people who already are dealing with the builders. We have to be able to speak their language to to basically get hemp to be just another aggregate that builders have a choice to use so that and they don't have to just run around saying it's hemp it's hemp it's hemp they just say oh do you want the hemp creep or do you want the this kind of insulation or whatever or the designers the architects exactly do you want this biofill or do you want this i mean 
it doesn't need to be all hemp all the time in terms of making such a big deal. It's a it's a bio aggregate. It's a biocellulose aggregate. So yes, but it is so exciting. The fact that hemp does so many other things, and as the the comeback plant, the American second chapter kind of story is just so exciting and so it captures the imagination so so yeah the directory that's basically what it is that is uh, just a way for people to to basically have that in their hands and and we're planning to put one out every year so obviously by next year it, it might be twice as big because there will be so many so many new people joining up. I was just going to say, we need to train up that workforce. I mean, poor Cameron, he can't be flying everywhere, right? He's in Pennsylvania. And I'm pretty sure Cameron would like to be busy with Pennsylvania projects, <laughs> local and so on. And and of course, we're making a big deal about Amerishambra. And as well, we should. Cameron McIntosh is a hero, but we have so many hemp builders now and and they will continue to to multiply that hemp building directory is a very valuable piece of information that is forthcoming i bought mine the minute i i think i purchased i know you did and i'm so grateful within 60 seconds of getting the email because we get a big a good deal on the pre-sale for this directory so folks if you're listening and you are interested in and have your look in your chops over this hemp building directory that's coming out you are going to want to pre-purchase it. So get to hempbuildmag.com right now and go to directory 2022 and pre-purchase it. Otherwise, you're going to pay the published tax and and may may hundreds and thousands of people pay uh, that published tax, sister. But we want to make sure that we're advertising the great deal for the pre-sale, which of course helps keep you going and, and create this incredible work product that you are continuing to put out for us. Yes, thank you, Joy. And it's it's true. We're it's such an adventure. It's really it's really cool. And I'm actually bringing my sister to a hemp building workshop here in Texas this weekend, and it's just going to be great. It's going to be fun. Awesome, sharing it, sharing it, sharing it. I just my favorite smell in the world is curing uh, hempcrete. That's literally my favorite smell. I know. Doesn't it smell like a, a the smell is definitely something that you notice right away when you walk in to the building before the lime has been put on, and the 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 smell is it's like it reminds you of like a a summer day in a hay field or something. Mm. It's just clean. There's something so clean about it. I I don't know what to, I don't know how to describe it other than when I have curing blocks from workshops, I stick them in the, the bedroom bathroom, close the door, turn the heat on. And then when I open up the door, it, it comes out. Oh, yes. Oh, it's just huge, clean waft. Now, Miss Jean, before we go, is there a question that you wished I would have asked you or something you want to make sure you leave the listeners with? I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there anything? What I'd like to know from you is what is your favorite hempcrete house that you've been in? Okay, well, it's I'm going to have to say that it's the Now House in Asheville, North Carolina. And I know that the owners and builders of that house will want for me to have a new house to say in another year because they want, of course, that was the whole reason uh, why they invested so much into what is the first platinum lead hempcrete home in the world, the Now House. And it also had incorporated, of course, about 80 different other sustainable green building techniques 
techniques. It was just an incredible, some which ended up working great and some which didn't. But something that I love so much about hempcrete in terms of your ability to decorate with it, do you want, do you want stark 90 degree angle lines? Do you want a hobbit home? Do you want a Victorian gingerbread house? I mean, do you want something groovy and psychedelic? Do you want a home that looks like- Do you want a stucco bungalow? Yeah. Yes, a mushroom, all of those things. And so these were 18 inch walls, sister. So it just, the whole house and with the lime plaster inside with the, and, and the flooring was uh, red clay that had been excavated from the site and turned into the floor. So just the whole vibration of the home, the inside feeling, the smell, the rounded hobbit-like windows in this gigantic luxury home. I, it's, it's my favorite one so far, sister. That's right. We never know. And who do you think the first, I, I think it's only a matter of time before some celebrity or influencer, Snoop Dogg, Willie Nelson, Martha Stewart, somebody announces, Prince Charles actually did build a house with hempcrete in the walls a couple years ago. How did um, I not know this? I'm not the journalist, I guess. Oh my God. I didn't know that. So but it was it was only, you know, it was like a little bit of insulation in this sort of house of tomorrow kind of thing. But I really do think I mean Beyonce has said that she has a hemp farm and I just think it's really on the edge of some celebrity picking it up and announcing that they're gonna build this. I think if you do live in a hemp house, you end up almost living in a public building that people knock on the door and come and want to, they want to uh, get a tour. And <laughs> the mayor of Asheville was like, no, you may not come tour my home. Thanks. No. <laughs> so I, luckily I had a little special in there, but, but he was always getting asked to tour the home. It's like, no, this is my house. Yes, but, exactly. But yes, that edge is here. And I completely am vibing with you there. There will be more lightning rods that will continue to move this this forward, Jane. Well, yeah, I agree. We are just so lucky in the hemp community to have you. You are such a huge part of the hemp community, the hemp building community, Jean. I am so glad. To Likewise, back at you, Joy. <laughs> oh, we will lock arms and walk into this Hemp and Horizon together. And thanks for the great work you do. Thank you for listening and heeding the call. Jean Lotus, you are something else, sister. Thanks for everything. Oh, thanks, Joy. I'm, I'm so delighted to be here. Until next time, I'm wishing you everything wonderful, Miss Jean. Thank you for being with us. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, 
stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.